welcome to the Dental Deep Dive, where we dive into industry trends and best practices for optimizing your dental organization while providing the best possible experience and care for patients. Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of the Dental Deep Dive. I'm your host, David Danielson, and today I'm joined by Mike White. Mike is an experienced advisor and provides accounting and CFO services in healthcare industry, specifically works on multi-location practices and dental support organizations. Mike was so extremely generous with his time, so much so that we're actually going to be able to make this a two-part episode. In this episode, we're really going to be focusing in on some of the trends that are happening in the market right now, some of the M&A activity. We're going to highlight some of that. And we're going to dive deep into some of the things that you can do right now to really drive the financial aspects of your practice. Be sure to tune in to our next month's episode where we're going to continue our conversation and focus in on maybe some of these other pieces like benchmarking. And then we'll talk about the roles of KPIs. We're really excited to get into the conversation. Let's dive in. I'd like to uh, welcome you back to the show, Mike. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know, it's one of those things where uh, I really love having you come on the, the podcast. I, I think there's a lot of things that you share that can really help what's going on with some of the practices and some of the challenges they're facing. But before we kick it off, and for those who are unfamiliar with you and haven't heard you before, uh, could you do a kind of a quick intro into a little bit about you specifically and uh, who you're working with right now? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Mike White. I'm a CPA uh, principal over at CLA Clifton Larson Allen. We have the eighth largest CPA firm in the nation, but it actually reminds me of a big DSO. We're a really big, small firm where we all have our specialization. And and mine is, is dental, DSO, and MSO. We have a great team of individuals all around the firm, all around the nation. Um, and we really just focus on helping back office practices for back offices, if you will, doing accounting, CFO, taxes, and a lot of mergers and acquisitions, which I know we'll we'll get into a little bit today. But yeah, so we're excited to be here. And for those of you who haven't heard me speak before, hopefully this is a really educational session that we can we can chat through. Thanks for that overview. I, I really appreciate it. You know, it's funny. Uh, you would think that I wouldn't get so excited about talking to an accountant, but <laughs> in the in the space that we're in, there's so much accounting activity. I think people drastically underestimate all the things that are going on, right? Yeah. So so right now, just kind of off the top, you know, a lot of the types of organizations that pay attention to our show represent either small groups or, or increasingly growing groups. What kinds of uh, areas were you, do you see that they need the most financial support and help and, and expertise? Well, you know, you just touched on it without even knowing it. What we've seen over the years in the last 12 years I've been in the industry is accounting was so thought of as passe. My office manager can do it, my spouse can do it, or I can do it in my evenings. But what we're realizing, and I hope the industry continues to realize, is investing in a good accounting process, building a good system is going to increase the value of your business in the short term and long term. It's going to help you be more bankable. It's going to help you bring on that partner or at another location. So what I really love to say is what we have stressed for the last 12 years seems to finally be coming to fruition. People are asking more questions, they're spending more time on it, and they're truly trying to understand what is the story their financials are trying to tell. And that's that's how we always frame it up for people is what is that story you're trying to tell? If, if it doesn't match, you know, you're like, I'm highly profitable, big revenue growth, and I see no revenue growth and a, a lot more profit opportunity. 
great. What, where is the money? Let's let's see it. And let's kind of work together on, on showing that. So what is the bigger challenge there? I mean, why is it that they think like that? Because I think this is really kind of a core thing that we want to tackle, which is, hey, you know what? My Somebody I know can go do that in the evenings. And, and I look at that and I think, wow, that's, you know, that could be a, a disaster or it could be a huge advantage. I, I mean, it really could go either way. Unfortunately, I haven't seen it go as a huge advantage of somebody, you know, a friend of mine can do it on the evenings, if you will. I think it starts with going back to dental school, right? I, I've gone to school, several of the dental schools across the nation and spoken. A lot of them like, this is the only business-esque class I'm getting uh, through my whole dentistry uh, career, all, all four years, all five years, however long it takes you. But that that becomes an education. It's like, wow. So from the get-go, we've devalued the importance of financial literacy, financial information. And most practice owners, as they take on an associateship or they take on a a partnership, they're trained to look at the end-of-day practice management report and the money they have in the bank. And then they rely on whomever to do the puts and takes for their tax preparation. It's an afterthought. And so as we continue to have these kind of conversations and, and we continue to, to work with individuals on a one-on-one basis, it really is just an education process of saying, here's what your financials are telling, what you can do with this information to drive the performance of your practice and open another location if you want to, or bring on that next partner or whatnot. Here's here's everything that this is telling you you can do. You know, one of the things that I've seen recently is the evolution of the structure of some of these organizations. I mean, I'm starting to bump into people with Harvard MBAs that are getting into dental, you know, it's like, we didn't have that financial savvy at the beginning, right? And and we're seeing an increased importance in people putting more time and effort there to become educated, to have the right structures and to, to be able to progress. When you look at the industry, somewhere between 25 and 30% consolidated, depending on who you ask, but heavily consolidation to me, I, I loop in our emerging groups that you touched on, the, the three to five locations, the three to seven locations that are starting to get there emerging and building stuff out within that consolidation realm, you know, those are a lot of private equity groups that are looking at these deals or very sophisticated lenders who are looking at these deals. And it's no longer the adage of my practice is valued at 62 to 82% of trailing 12 collections. We're talking EBITDA, even for two, one, two location groups, we're talking EBITDA, multiple of EBITDA. And when we see the the emergers and acquisitions, we did about 150 mergers and acquisitions in the dental space last year alone. That's how every one of those transactions was was looked at and valued. So that importance of knowing what your EBITDA is, having your chart of accounts and financial structure that way, uh, is so critical. So that kind of brings us up to something really interesting. You said 150 M&A items from just last year for you guys, right? Just last year, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a whirlwind for sure. Yeah, it was. So what other trends are you seeing? I mean, what else did you see in uh, 2021? You know, when we look at, you know, obviously we, we talk back to COVID period, and I, I'm not saying that we're out of COVID as we all know, but as we look back to 2020, 2021 was, you know, there's a lot of pent up demand. So all the transactions that didn't happen in 2020 from these equity groups or, or new de novo starts or whatever they may be, a lot of them got pushed into 2021 for growth purposes. And all that pent up demand for people who lived through COVID year, the 2020 year and said, you know, I was on the fence about selling uh, or transitioning out or retiring. I'm no longer on the fence. I've, I've jumped one way or the other. 
And some people looked at that as an opportunity to buy their peers. Some people looked at that as an opportunity to sell their individual practices. But it was a whirlwind of year. And, and I think what the industry saw was the resiliency of, of dentistry and healthcare. In unprecedented times of these practices being shut down um, and closed in many states. Some states we saw up to three months. And then they bounce back and a lot of the practices, if not most of the practices we work with are doing in excess of pre-COVID numbers and their revenue. So the market saw that, lenders saw that, private equity saw that. And with that, there was a flurry of activity and it's it's trickling into 2022 as we sit here today in January and you know working on four or five diligence projects right now. So based on what you saw, this pent up demand, starting to see that ball move, what are you forecasting in the 2022? I, I think we're going to continue to see this flurry of activity. You know, most private equity funds, they, they get three to five years of committed capital from their investors. Well, if you think about one year of not being able to deploy as much capital as you want, they still have the same commitment time with their investors. So they have to deploy all that capital in a shortened period of time, and they're going to be aggressive. And, you know, the pricings are really good right now. The valuations that we're seeing are really good right now. People are saying, you know, I really didn't want to sell, but this number makes too much sense. And all the strategic, you know, alliances, and now we're, of course, seeing international entities coming in, and there's more overseas kind of cross. We saw that years ago with North American Dental Group merging with the Swiss Swiss uh, DSO, and we're starting to see it with a few coming out of Canada and, and Australia and Eastern Europe and stuff. So we're, we're starting to see a lot of activity coming to the States. And of course, you know, if we, we talk to the numbers, we're about 85,000 dental practices. And if we're only 25 to 30% consolidated, there's a lot of room for execution this year. Yeah. Do you see that that consolidation, are there certain segments that are hitting it harder than others? Is it the big guys just gobbling up more small, medium guys? Or do you see it more as, hey, I'm seeing a lot of these kind of intermediary, I've got three, you've got six, let's come together. Uh, what, what are you seeing most of the time? You know, I'm seeing all of it. You know, we, we've kind of segmented our team into the emerging, the one to three locations, the three to 15 locations, and then the private equity groups. Uh, we've segmented our team and our team leaders to focus on those various industries. And in each one of those facets, we're seeing the solo practitioner wanting to bolt on and add a second, third location. We're seeing the emerging group, the three to 15 locations acquiring, you know, maybe they did one, one de novo or one acquisition a year. Now they're doing two to three. And we're seeing those infancy 25, $30 million revenue groups starting to try to buy a 10, $15 million revenue group. Uh, and then of course we've seen the big guys, you know, gobble up uh, the top 20, top 30. When you saw Heartland and ADPI last year merge, I mean, that was a huge transaction, and I'm sure we'll see more of that as well uh, across the industry. So I think it's it's coming across all facets. The other interesting trend is for the last 12 years, you and I, we've been focused on the GPs, what's going on in the GP space. And really in the last two years, especially coming out of COVID with the specialty, you know, endo practice, oral practices, you know, ortho, pedo ortho, all that good stuff, we're seeing a lot of consolidations. And that's specialty practice. So then you start looking at how does the GP and specialty come together? How are they cross-referring? Are they going to bring specialty into the GPs or are they specialty bringing the GPs into their group for a hub-spoke type model? Or are we all going to come together in, in 10 to 15 years with one big consolidation? So it will definitely be interesting. But those are the trends, especially on the specialty side that we're, we're starting to see more of. And I'm seeing that as well. I mean, I'm seeing a lot more renewed interest in 
either specialized DSOs that are, hey, I'm just going to be an endodontic shop and I'm going <laughs> to buy up all the ones I can get, or I'm also seeing kind of a, hey, I'm going to be a multi-specialty regional DSO or even a local LDSO. So uh, I'm really seeing a lot of traction on both of those. So this is really, a lot of people that listen to this show, they're really geared towards, hey, Dave, this is great, but what's going on with the technology? How do we how do we better leverage technology to really help practices? And, you know, I just want to ask you kind of some direct questions that way, which are things like, you know, how can practices better leverage the tools in their practice management systems to really improve financial performance? I mean, of course, Henry Shine had a nice little merger of their own last year with another analytics tool and leveraging that information. And I think the importance of, of when you start looking at the analytics tools and the data that's within your practice management system, people like myself, you know, one, we have to get it right. There's got to be a closed cycle. There's got to be an accounting cycle to your billing process. But more importantly, they have to know what to do with it. You know, people talk to me all the time and say, okay, Mike, I did 100,000 this month in revenue. Next month, I want to do 110. All right, well, let's look at your practice management system. Is it utilization in your schedule? Is it patient volume? Is it new patient volume? Is it production per patient? Are you doing a ton of treatment planning, but nobody's executing on the treatment? So where is your hole within your practice? to be able to get to the 110,000, then the 120, 150. So that data is so powerful. So I challenge, you know, all those that are listening today with their CPA and, and their, their accountant and their advisors, it becomes a cohesive unit. Like I want to see your practice management data at the end of the month. I want to see your AR aging. How are your credits doing? How are your aging buckets? Are your billing team executing as they're supposed to? Are you filling up your schedule from a utilization so we start with production per day, but then we get down to production per hour. Uh, there's certain times that you really crush it, but yet there's only one day a week you're open for those hours. So do we need to shift the schedule around and make sure we capture that market? So that amount of data that's at your fingertips. The other thing with you know your all's analytics tool is bringing the daily huddle into your, your practice. You know, there's so many aspects of these tools that allow you to say, okay, guys, here's our goal, our collective goal for the day. And here's how we're going to get there. You know, hygiene's got to be hitting in all cylinders. And, and doctor, here's the treatments that are coming in. We proposed this to Sally Jane last time, and they're coming in today. They haven't executed yet. Let's close this case. And let's really work together on a daily basis. It takes 10 to 15 minutes. You have all the data you need. And if you set up your, your parameters really well, it can feed you a report. I know some of our doctors get an email in the morning of everything that they're going to go over with their team that day. So it just prompts them to be ready for the conversation. But what about, what are you seeing from your standpoint? You know, I think you're really nailing it on the head. I, I think that for me, you know, I really start to look at, it's really breaking down stepwise where in your workflow processes you're really starting to optimize. And what I'm seeing mostly is with the groups that are really hitting, if they were at 110 and they want to go to 120 or 130, they really are slicing the data. I mean, they're really figuring out, well, this year we really want to improve treatment planning case acceptance. Like that might be the one thing that you want to do to move the needle for the year. But without really looking at the data, I think it's been really hard for people to guess at, well, am I hitting? Is this, is this the benchmark? Is this where I need to be? And I think that's something that I think practices are starting to figure out and really optimize around. I think you're really nailing a, a lot of those. Our practices that I work with, I would say over the last few years have become more sophisticated. What they want to manage and track, I totally agree with. 
it used to be per day uh, production. Now it's per hour production. I'm starting to see more talk like that. And they're also looking to me to say, hey, how are you going to help me fill my appointment book better? How are we going to speed up provider time on uh, in the software? We want to spend less time in the software. We want to spend more time doing dentistry. And I think those are those are going to be big pushes over the next couple of years. And I think the key to this, and, and you know this, the key to this for everybody listening today is, you know, if you start analyzing this data and tearing into the numbers, there's hundreds of numbers for you to get excited about hundreds of numbers for your agenda. But just as you mentioned, uh, with the taste acceptance, most groups are picking, okay, this is our 90 day goal. We're gonna focus on treatment planning. We're gonna focus on these three numbers that drive treatment planning and see what's working, what's not. And when you have multiple locations and it's working well at one and not the other two, then you're utilizing that team to cross train to say, okay, we're great at treatment planning over here. Our conversion rates above 50% or whatever it may be. But over here, we're at 10%, right? We're, we're presenting the same cases. So we're, we're seeing the same opportunities um, because when you look at your patient base and of course your practices, they should be fairly replicable. Um, and that's what drives value within your practices as well. But, you know, the key is picking that one thing, focus on it for 90 days. At the end of 90 days, if you, you're ready to move on to the next thing, great. If you're not, then stay focused on that one thing. If you throw three or four things at your team, they're going to get overwhelmed. They're going to shut down. And of course, nothing's going to happen. So that would be one challenge. And then ultimately, what we always talk about as an accountability partner is somebody has to own that KPI. So somebody has to know better than anybody, whether it be the regional manager, the office manager, the treatment coordinator, they need to know why we hit or missed those opportunities. What was going on with the call-in lines? What was going on with Sally Jane that week or the doctor that week, whatever it may be, they've got to know and they've got to own that KPI. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I've, I've become more interested in seeing how practices are starting to adapt. And it's kind of funny because I used to look at this as software development practices, but but the daily huddle is really just a daily stand-up if you're from the software world. Like it's something we've been doing for years, but you're starting to see more and more of that kind of continuous improvement, but we just use different words, you know, and and it's really been cool um, to kind of see that progress. Now, one thing that is a hot topic for sure is it was a hot topic forever to centralize, <laughs> right? Everybody wants to centralize. Oh, yes. I want 10 practices. I want them to be exactly the same. I, I want to get the standardization advantages. And now I'm starting to hear, well, maybe we want to centralize some of these things and decentralize others because we want to be closer to the patient. So my question to you is, what are you seeing? What are you recommending? And what are your thoughts? You know, it really gets into, it's great conversation and it really gets into the strengths of the operators and, and what they're building and what their, you know, three to five year goal is. You know, there are there are significant costs in centralizing, you know, call center and scheduling and some functions like that, where it's heavy technology focused, heavy training focused and people, if you will. So those challenges become, hey, if your goal is to build the 10, 15 locations and then exit. I don't know that you would centralize many functions. Now you would have regional managers, you would have people at the, the corporate level, you would outsource some functions that create some centralization. But the key to this that we've seen is, is really understanding the life cycle of what this group is trying to accomplish. The bit, you know, the bigger groups certainly are centralizing as many of those functions as they can. They are pushing some of the scheduling back at the practice level and call center 
And then even when they look at the billing, they're not taking all billing in or all billing out. They're doing functions in, whether it's claims adjudication or, or just follow up on AR collections, whatever that may be, wherever they can centralize those functions, it's key. What you have to realize as you're building a group, as your goal is to build the exit in a, a short period of time or three to five years, the more money you put in your infrastructure, you may not get full credit for. If you bolt on with a strategic brand that already has all those functions, they don't need your functions, and but yet you're being penalized in your EBITDA because of it. They may absorb some things and it becomes a negotiation point. But as you start thinking about what's the best thing for my practice, from an accounting perspective, I want to see practice level P&Ls. And I do want to know at a corporate level, even if it's just a management company, not a full-blown DSO, I do want to know how much money we're spending at corporate because there's a benchmark for every number on the page. It's really interesting because on the technology side, you know, what we've been trying to do is accommodate whatever that blend is because it's been this moving target. It's like, hey, I want to be all the way one way and now I want to trickle back. And I think you're really hitting on some of the stronger points, which are you need to be mindful of your practice production and you need to be mindful of what your targets and your goals are. I do see customers still really looking at trying to figure out that blend. And so I think it's really important to focus on not just technology, but a technology partner that can help you really blend and, and get from point A to point B. Do you see that organizations, are, are they really focusing on good financial performance practices? Are they are they really kind of focusing on, on, are they mindful of it? Or is it something that's just happening on the back end? You know, it's, it's a good question. When people, so if I look from a buyer's perspective, you know, what we're, we're seeing a lot of times is, does it fit the mold that they're trying to create? Is it a PPO practice that serves this time patient base that sees is this big in, on real estate and, and of course then gets into profitability? We're seeing people being more strategic because opportunistically, there are a lot of opportunities that are coming to market on a consistent basis. But as you start leveraging technology and systems, what they're really wanting is good, critical data. And I know we've been working with you guys with Henry Shine to really make sure the AR aging process looks a lot like an accounting process and you're lining those financial matrix up as much as possible. So kind of your point you were just making, you know, as we talked to Jill Nesbitt and some of the other folks in your team, it's really important as they are setting up their systems you know, what are all the bells and whistles they want? And when we see it on the accounting side, we have people who use QuickBooks and we have people that we need a grandfather to Sage Intact. When it becomes that evolution within their cycle, it's like, hey, if you're going to be doing multi-level consolidations, you're going to be doing gap accounting, QuickBooks is going to be limited. So just as you all look at all the bells and whistles within your software platforms and the analytics bolt-ons, it's really critical for you guys, just as it is us, for them to map that out. Here's our goal. Here's our vision. So you can build it from day one as much as possible. It's really interesting to me to find that the customers that I find that are the most successful have the most clear vision, right? Like they yes. they know exactly what they're trying to accomplish and they might not know all the details on the periphery. They figure that as they go. But having that sense of direction and that sense of vision and goal, I think is really paramount to, to organizational success. No, absolutely. And this concludes part one of our conversation with Mike White. Mike had some fantastic insights that he shared with us. I really love the conversation around trends 
the 150 M&A activities that he's personally been involved with. One of the things I really want to recap here is the strategies the organizations are taking, particularly around centralization. And be sure to subscribe and tune in next time to hear part two of this conversation with Mike White, where we're going to discuss benchmarking, KPIs, and really putting in the structures that people want for better accountability to really grow and maximize the value of their practices. We'll see you again next time on the Dental Deep Dive. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Dentrix Enterprise, for sponsoring this episode of the Dental Deep Dive. As you learned from this conversation, the importance of having KPIs and KPI owners. Dentrix Enterprise makes it easy for you to track and manage your financial goals. If you'd like to learn more about how Dentrix Enterprise can help your practice grow and succeed, please visit them at dentrixenterprise.com forward slash dental deep dive.